0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome to uh, Bucko Booth. It is our second episode, and um, sadly, uh, Jared from Pirate Strong could not be uh, with us here today, uh, but you know, it's me. I'm here, um, Benson Factor again, uh, and we have a very exciting episode for you. Um, since our last episode, the Pirates, they've... Ratcheted up a bit. I mean, since our last episode, we are five and two, ladies and gentlemen, and we have a big three games in the next twenty, uh, pretty much twenty-four hours to uh, get through for the All-Star break. So let's break down a little bit what happened over these last seven games. We're five and two, batting two sixty-five. It's very good batting average, but this this is a stat that you have to hear a two point four two staff ERA. That's dynamo. 9.96% only one error in the last week. We've hit four home runs, two apiece from Polanco and Marte. We scored 28 runs. We're putting up four a game. I mean, four runs a game may not seem like that much, but here's the thing. When our ERA is 2.42, we'll take it. Just as a comparison, that 265, which is very good too. In the month of June, when we were 10-16, and our team batting average was 227. We have got it up to 265. So I'm, I'm very happy with where we're sitting right there. And what makes me even more happy is that team the ERA. June, a 4.04 ERA. This week, 2.42. And only having one error is fantastic. I love the lunch we're putting up her game. Uh, it is definitely making me happy. And we're going to do this every week on the show. We're going to do our weekly awards. Usually Jared will help me out with this, he'll pick an award himself. But, um, so we're going to go through our weekly awards. My MVP of the week, uh, goes to Gregory Polanco. He was five for 18. That's a 278 average. Uh, he had two home runs and six RBIs. Uh, hit another home run last night. Absolutely fantastic week from Gregory Polanco. He's been hot lately. He's been one of the best right fitters in the National League. And I believe he was a snub from the home run derby. Why isn't he there? He's he's a prototypical home run derby hitter, and I'm kind of upset that uh, he didn't make it to the derby. But uh, we'll see. Maybe next year. cyan of the Week have to go with our nightmare, our all-star, Felipe Vasquez. He's appeared in five games, four and two-thirds in pitched, four for four on those days, only allowing four hits in that time, striking out nine and walking two. Felipe being a nightmare. My God, has he been good. I mean, there's a reason why he's an all-star, but here's the thing. Our bullpen has been so dynamite. Richard Rodriguez and Kyle Crick, in my opinion, are having better seasons than Felipe Vasquez. And Felipe Vasquez was an all-star. And now you get Edgar Santana, he's clicking. Just wait. Michael Flees, he'll come back. He'll get back on the good, the good Michael Flees we know. He's not going to be bad forever. And then Tyler Glass now has shown signs of brilliance. Steven Brault can be brilliant out of the bullpen. We have a solid bullpen. They're young pitchers, but they're here to stay, and that's what I like. I like them bigger than this bullpen. It's led by our all-star, Felipe Vasquez. Love it. Rookie of the week goes to Colin Moran. Batting 316 this week with three RBIs. Uh, he was talking a little bit before this week, but, man, I mean, last night picking up three knocks, beautiful. <laughs> Josh Bell. You sure as hell made him run last night. Uh, so, good job, JB. And our uh, gold glove of the week goes to Josh Harrison. I mean, why does he not have a good glove? All right, 26 total chances, 20 assists, six put-ups, no errors, been a part of five double play turns. Jay hits the man, and he's starting to come alive with his bat now. So, th- this offense, it's starting to come alive. And here's the thing. Our offense isn't even at the point yet where it's like, yeah, we're clicking, no, 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 we're still at the medium to good range, we still can get to that great range, and we showed what we are capable of in April, and this staff it's making me quite happy as of late, and um some of the uh if you are have read the description for this episode, you know that uh what I really want to talk about today. What, I really think, what has really piqued my interest is Francisco Cervelli, he's getting uh, work at first base. Yeah, Francisco Cervelli. Um, So Tuesday morning, uh, Pittsburgh Prize broadcaster, Greg Brown, he lit up Twitter, lit it up with a short clip of Francisco Cervelli taking ground balls at first base. And you know, you take a look at the video. Um, and He looks decent, right? Francisco Cervelli, he uh, made one... St- career start with the Pirates at first base, out it came in 2016. But looking at him taking those ground balls, I'll tell you what, he has been, he's, he's throwing it better to second base than Josh Bell. Josh Bell just looks awkward throwing the ball to first base. He really does. Um, But Cerelli, it's, it's, it seems like a natural transition to move from catcher to first base, you know? Um, It doesn't seem like it's too much. And while it may seem harmless on the surface, there could be more at play with Cervelli getting work in at first base. With a lengthy concussion history and a propensity to take fouls off the mask at a high rate of speed, the Pirates could be looking to prolong Cervelli's career and value to the team moving forward. By getting Cervelli work at first, it gives the Pirates an opportunity to get both Sorelli and Elias Diaz in the lineup at the same time, especially against lefties. However, that wouldn't make much sense as Sorelli's a slash line of just 135 average, 338 OBP, 339 slugging against lefties. Undoubtedly, it's a chance to get Sorelli in the lineup on days when he's not behind the plate. Much like the New York Yankees did early in his career in 2010, Joe Girardi gave Sorelli playing time for base behind uh, Alex Rodriguez. During his time in New York, Sorelli played four games at third, two games at second base, and five games at first base, aside from duties behind the plate and at DH. Since coming to Pittsburgh, uh, Sorelli has seen playing time at first in two games, playing just nine innings. That being said, he's played 49 total innings at first in his career and five innings at third. It might not look like it due to his build, but Cervelli has some position flexibility in his back pocket. And it might be time for the Pirates to bust it out. Not only to keep him healthy and in the lineup, but to also build up his trade value for either the deadline or winter meetings. Now, that's not to say Cervelli will push Josh Bell off of first base. What it could mean is that Cervelli slides into a utility role, a la David Freeze, should the Pirates sell off Freeze. That could seem crazy to read at first, and I get it. But Diaz has shown he can handle a heavy workload behind the plate, both defensively. He has a 2.8 defensive value per fangrass, And offensively, he has a 354 WOBA, a 124 plus WRC. While Soraly has some history, albeit minor, playing at the corners. Turning the heavy lifting over to Diaz isn't such a bad thing. Considering Diaz has been one of the best players for the Pirates all season. Plus, that helps keep Sorelli healthy and on the field for a team looking to make a push for the playoffs. Of course, it could all be for show, allowing the Pirates to try and push his trade value a bit higher, getting more in return. For now, I think the decision to get him work at first base in pregame workouts is a move to benefit the current Pirates lineup. Who knows? It could be a welcome move for Cervelli health-wise while making the team deeper in depth and flexibility. And I like the move. You know, Cervelli has been injury-prone while he's been a Pittsburgh Pirate. He had a great season in 2015. You know why? Because he didn't get injured. That's the bottom line with Francisco Cervelli. And he's not moving Josh Bell on first stage. Josh Bell is our future first baseman we all know that he's not getting pushed off first base. He's just not, right? And um, there is a high likelihood that the Pirates go out and trade a David Freeze. And if they do trade a David Freeze-like player, you know, Colin Moran is not going to play third base every day. And the Pirates have already shown they don't really have faith in Colin Moran facing lefties. So you now Francisco Estrada may be able to swing over to third base. Um and you know, give Josh Bell a spell because David Fries is our backup first baseman. So I think this is just in preparation for us uh, trading David for, David Fries. That's that's the alt move, um, in my opinion. Um yeah, so it, it's definitely interesting. But I do want to move a little bit uh along here and you know, things they still look bleak for the Pittsburgh Pirates, but they have taken a step forward winning four of their last five games. Pittsburgh General Manager Neil Huntington said Sunday that the next eight games prior to the All-Star break would dictate what the organization does at the July 31st trade deadline. His words followed a three-game series sweep at the hands of the Los Angeles Dodgers and two straight losses to the Philadelphia Phillies. The Pirates responded with a 4-1 victory over Philadelphia to stop a five-game losing streak and salvage a game in the series. With the eight-game stretch against the Washington Nationals and Milwaukee Brewers approaching, it wasn't unrealistic to think the Pirates could continue their struggles against a pair of talented teams. However, the Bucs had found a way to hang thus far, taking two or three from the Nationals and winning the first two games of the series against the Brewers. The Pirates were Five and the season still sit nine and a half games back of the Brewers and the National Central Rates. And all signs point to them selling at the trade deadline. But this week did see the team provide more positive moments than negative for a change. Here are some of the top storylines, positive and negative from the week that was in Pirates Baseball. Let's take a look at Tyone shining in his last latest outing. You know, after showing a bit of disappointment and only going six and two-thirds innings while throwing 77 pitches uh, against the Phillies last weekend, Jameson Tyler showed up in a big wave Thursday night against the Brewers. The right-hander had one of his best outings of the year, allowing one run on four hits and six strong innings. He walked a pair and struggled a career-high 10 while throwing 62 of his 96 pitches for strikes. Since making his Major League debut in 2016, Tyone hasn't really shown a ton of consistency on the mound. However, his performance Thursday is exactly what the organization expects of him more often than not. After compiling an ERA over 4 in April and May, Tyone has settled down in the months of June and July. He had a uh, 2.9 ERA in five starts last month, and is one in one with a 3.63 ERA in three outings so far this month. Regardless of where the Pirates currently are in the standings, it's nice to see Tyon, a talented pitcher who has gone through so much in the last few years, pitch to his potential. Because when he does, he's a legitimate force on the mound. Let's talk about Mercer. Is he, is he leading the way? During the Facebook Watch broadcast of the Pirates' National game Wednesday, the difficulty of hitting in the number eight spot and the batting order was discussed by the broadcast team of Rich Waltz, FP Santangelo, and P- Pittsburgh native Sean Casey. The trio also brought up Pirate shortstop Jordy Mercer, who has embraced hitting out of the number eight spot and has succeeded in doing so. Mercer has had a solid year that might get unnoticed at times. He's hitting 253, which is just under his career mark of 256, with five home runs and 30 RBIs. Mercer has also been a doubles machine, picking up 21 in 83 games. His previous career high for a season was 27, which he set in 2014. Mercer has been incredibly influential over the Pirates' last two games, picking up five hits in his last seven at-bats. He went 2-for-3 with a pair of doubles and a run scored in a 2 nothing victory over the Nationals Wednesday, and went 3-for-4 with a run scored and a career-high four RBIs Thursday. It might be unrealistic to think Mercer can continue his stellar pace uh, this afternoon in the doubleheader against the Brewers, but it's fair to say he has led the way offensively over the last two days. Luplo starting over Meadows? For the second straight day, Jordan Luplo was penciled into the Pirates on Thursday. And for the second straight day, he did nothing. After going 0-3 Wednesday against Washington, Luplo had an 0-4 showing against Milwaukee, grounding into a pair of double plays, striking out once. Five runners were stranded on base during loopers at-bats. His two starts come in favor of Austin Meadows, who has seen his playing time decrease over the last week or so. Meadows, who has had his share of struggles over the past few weeks, hasn't started since Sunday against the Phillies and is two for five in pinch hit opportunities since then. So, I... Um, on my box dog, at a catch, I've touched on uh, Meadows this past week and the possibility of him being sent down to Triple A Indianapolis. That's likely the most beneficial move for the young prospect who needs to have at-bats. If the Pirates aren't going to use him and rather have Blue 193 career average in the lineup, then give Meadows the opportunity to receive playing time until the appropriate time is right to bring him back. So we have one lone all-star and his name is Felipe Vasquez. He will be the lone Pirates representative at the MLB All-Star Game in Washington next week. Vasquez, who has already matched his career-high 21 saves and 25 opportunities this season, was selected to do his first All-Star Game this week. The nod isn't surprising considering Vasquez is in the top five among national relievers with 55 strikeouts in 40 innings. Some may have thought the Pirates could have snuck one or two more All-Stars into the mix, Corey Dickerson, who was an all-star last year, could have been a potential selection. He's seen a 305 this season with six home runs and 35 RBIs. However, he hasn't been the power hitter or run producer that he has been in the past. In his last 30 games, Dickerson has just one home run and three RBIs. Francisco Stroud was another option, as he's already set a career high with nine home runs while driving in 36 runs. A recent stint on the disabled list, might have hindered his chances along with the fact that he's hitting 189 over his last 30 games. And to many, Sterling Marte might have also been considered a snub, despite the fact that there is so much outfield talent in the National League. Marte is hitting 284 this season with 11 home runs and 41 RBIs this season. He's also tied for second in the majors with 23 stolen bases. All in all, the right decision was made to select Vasquez as the lone Pirates representative. The Pirates aren't in much of a position to have more than one All-Star, and Vasquez seems like the most deserving of the bunch. And, you know, I really wish we could have gotten Corey Dixon, Francisco Cervelli, and Stormy Marquette to the game. I did my part with voting. I voted as much as I possibly could. But it wasn't enough. Adds the, uh... Sorry for the delay, just had to deal with something. But yeah, so Dickerson, Sorelli, Marte really should have been all stars. And uh, potentially Josh Bell as well, but um, they obviously didn't get in. And Dickerson, if he would have continued his pace that he showed in April and May, and we're leading up to that national series where he had that uh, upper deck shot off of Max Scherzer if he would have continued that pace, he definitely would have been an all-star. I mean, At one point, he was on pace for like 120 RBIs and 37 home runs. But in his last 30 games, he has one home run and three RBIs, and that really stalled his voting among the uh, national voters and not really the uh, Pittsburgh voters. I mean, I assume Pittsburgh voters continue to vote All-Pirates. I encourage that. Um, But he didn't get there. And then uh, let's talk a little bit about Cervelli. If he didn't go in the DL, I truly believe he would have been an All-Star. And, yes, he's batting 189 over his last 30 games. But he has an All-Star personality, too. And that's what I really like about him. You know, and Pittsburgh loves him. I went to, um on a Thursday, he was out in um, uh doing an autograph event. And, you know, other players have done autograph events and stuff. And this was at Nick's Menity Store. And the 620 these has had other players do guys. Josh Harrison has been there, Josh Bell, Andrew McCutcheon even. And Francisco's Valley drew the largest crowd out of any of those guys. And it just showed me that there are still loyal, faithful Pirates fans out there. And they are still willing to come out and support their players. And the team does have a uh, loyal core following. Sometimes, uh, the the core following has showed up at the games this season, but the uh, majority of the people haven't. The um, You know, from 2013-15, we had great attendance, but over the uh, past couple of seasons, that attendance has dropped significantly due to uh, the underperformance, I guess, of the team. And to uh, close out here, I for the next like 10 minutes, I want to talk a little bit about David Fries, Colin Moran, and the Pirates' problem between the two guys. right? The Pittsburgh Pirates traded Garrett Cole in exchange for three major league players and a minor league prospect. The goal in the players' received at least was to fill multiple spots with one move. The Pirates started the offseason with a hole at third base, with Jung Ho gan still lacking a visa, and David Fries was the incumbent starter. After three years of posting 1.9, 2.0, and 2.3 warp from 2015 to the 17, the Pirates decided to keep the now 35-year-old as a bench player and spot starter in a way to keep him fresh. In order to upgrade both the bullpen and third base, the Pirates traded away Garrett Cole from Michael Feliz Colin Moran, along with acquiring Joe Muskov to fill the hole in the rotation and adding Jason Martin as a prospect. Moran, a swing changer, looked to add some promise on the surface, especially if the power he showed last year in AAA would translate over. He looked like he could be a big factor in the lineup, especially with the short left field defense at PNC. At times, Moran has shown off the power, such as on opening day or against the Reds on a pitch at his head. But too often, Moran is not. Entering games on Thursday, the left-hander was slugging just 4 2 not something that's too inspiring especially since the defense and speed are lacking freeze on the other hand is once again been consistent in playing solid defense at their base maybe entering the season the expectations were too high for moran and too low for freeze that's what i believe happened here and uh, we're going to break down the pakoda the preseason projections for both players um so, Colin Moran is projected to have a 509, 509 plate appearances, bat 249, 314 OBP, 401 slugging, and David is projected to have 229 plate appearances, a 250 average, a 328 OBP, and a 373 slugging. So, I'm going to tell you a stat. It's called FRAA, and that's fielding runs above average. they are projected Moran at minus two runs at third. And minus one run at first while being a below average hitter at a 250. That's TAV. that's the true average. TAV is similar to WOAB in terms of being a linear weight type metric, but it includes strikeouts and situational hitting such as double plays and sack flies. Freeze which projects to have similar offensive value to Ram, a 251 WOBA, and with his defense. At a plus one FRAA, Freeze was projected to have similar overall value to Moran. Moran with a 0.4 warp and Freeze with a 0.3 warp. The above gets back to the Pirates and roster construction. The Pirates traded away coal to get Moran and other players. However, looking to fill three holes, the two holes plus one left by trading coal, and one trade is hard to do especially when four of the five players involved were already at the major league level. Teams have access to the cost of one win is linear, which I'm not sure it is. Having one player worth four wins at one position certainly should be worth more to a team than having four players worth one win at four different positions. There's a roster constraint. There's only 25 players that could be on a roster at one time. Having players... With four wins leaves twenty-four other players to help supplement the player. Whereas when dividing up the four wins into four players, at least twenty-one players to add more wins on the roster. But suppose wins were actually actually were linear, which is how teams have operated in the past. Using the preseason warp projections from Dakota and showing the projected end of season warp totals, it shows that Garrett Cole, right? Preseason Warp, 2.9. Total Warp, 5.7. Colin Moran, Preseason Warp, 0.4. Total Warp of 0.8. Joe Musgrove, Preseason Warp of 0.8. Total Warp of 1.4. And Michael Feliz, Preseason Warp of 0.7. Total Warp of 0.3. Preseason, you see uh, we are supposed to have a 1.9 warp. The difference here is is 1 right now we have 2.5. The difference between the three dudes and Garrett Cole is 3.2. So Cole, he was a projected three-win player at the start of the season. And with his performance so far this season, a 4.5 warp, he projects near a six-win pitcher at year end. The Pirates return, on the other hand, was only projected to be worth two wins this season and are only projected to be worth three wins at season's end. If the season end projection of the Pirates' return Poles preseason projection, the trade would seem fair. Assuming wins are linear, but based on roster construction, I'm not sure they are. Judging Michael Feliz by Warp is shaky because he's a reliever. Warp is not as cumulative, and Feliz was projected just 54 innings. Warp doesn't do relievers justice. They can have added pitching value pitching in high leverage situations, and their warp on an innings basis might be better to judge them by than raw warp. Even then, while Felice has disappointed, pitching a a 5.45 runs allowed per nine through his DRA of 4.98 is more encouraging, still below average. The Pirates at the time of the trade were worth one less win without Cole than with him. Making things more fair, assuming the swing change and power was real, Moran's 80-degree percentile projection was a 2-win player, projected 1.8 warp. Musgrove was only projected 127 innings, a total he would have surpassed given his health at the time of the trade. If Moran reached that projection, the Pirates would be 0.4 wins better at the time of the trade. But again, a 3-win player seems more valuable than 3.3 wins from 3 players. I'm excluding future years because 1. they need discounted. Two, the Pirates always claim they are contending this year. And three, this was only to illustrate how one player worth X amounts of wins is more valuable than multiple players worth a similar similar amount of wins in a given season. Getting back to Freeze and Moran, the problem with the Pirates right now is the hot corner. Moran and Freeze were projected to be similar players at the start of the season. Though the 80 degree percentile, Moran would be a solid player. But that was only going to occur if the swing change and the newfound power was going to translate at the major league level. Looking at the year-to-date numbers entering uh, games Thursday of each Moran and Freeze shows, so Moran has had 285 plate appearances, 255 average, 330 OVP for a two slugging. Freeze has had 162 plate appearances, a 272 average, 327 OVP, and a 415 slugging. So Walmart has been a better hitter. He has a 2.73 true average to Freeze's 2.62 true average. Freeze has been the better fielder with a 0.7 FRAA to negative 3.7 FRAA. Freeze with a plus 4.4 run difference. In terms of overall value, they they've been equal, 0.6 warp, and Freeze has done so in less, in 123 less plate appearances. So Freeze has been more valuable. And per 600 plate appearances, it's a one win difference, Moran with a 1.3 warp, and Frears with a 2.2 warp. This demonstrates Moran's problem. His value is completely tied to the bat, which is RPA+, ranks in the same order as TAV, has Moran 11% above average at 111. Other metrics have Moran more league average, his WRC+, is 98, and OPS+, is 100. Overall, the three metrics have high correlations with each other. And there are some differences. The big one here is t- the true average factors in strikeouts and situational hitting. is only hit into a double play in 8.6% of double play opportunities. So the question is, who do you start at third base? And I asked this on my uh, Bucs.com page yesterday, and the answer was Colin Moran. But it's a dilemma. It's a dilemma the Pirates face. Colin Moran, David Freeze. What are we going to do at the deadline? David Breeze has been the better third baseman. He should be the starting third baseman, and that's why this situation. The Pirates are looking to compete. Listen, they win these next three games. We're one game under 500, six and a half back of the division, in a wild card position. And then we've got weak teams coming out of the coming out of the box. We face the Reds and the Mets right out of the box. This Pirates team is here to compete. They- that's uh we'll see you all on Saturday for the next episode. Hopefully Jared from Pirates Strong will be there. Thank you all for tuning in the bucket booth. Appreciate it if you give Jared a follow it at, at Pirates.strong and me a follow at at on Instagram. Thank you all for tuning in. We will see you on Saturday.